Football's right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Sportsbook is not yet available in your state. There are still huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with daily fantasy contests. And for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 rager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. We are getting closer and closer to real games. Still have a couple months, but it is the end of August. And funnily enough, I opted to record a pod on Thursday. And then on Friday, right after the very next day, Lowry Marketing is acquired by the Cavaliers. An interesting move. If you've read my writing, if you've heard anything I've said in the last couple of weeks, you know, I do not like this trade at all. I think it's a little redundant. I think that you're spending money you really didn't need to spend in acquiring him. You haven't signed a single free agent yet, and yet you're bringing a market in the trade. Well, you still haven't resolved the Kevin Love situation. We're going to get to that. But today, we're talking not only about the Cavs, but the Sacramento Kings. Excited to introduce Jason Jones, who's with the Sacramento Bee for a long time. Now he writes about the Kings for the Athletic. And, of course, Jason is also part of the Hoops pod, of the Basketball Podcast Network with the Ruler of the Court pod. So, Jason, uh, pleasure to welcome you on on this Monday. Thanks for having me. You know, a lot of folks normally want to talk Kings, so it's always nice that somebody <laughs> wants to talk to me. <laughs> No, absolutely. So how do you like being in Sacramento? You you enjoy the area non-basketball-wise? It's weird because I actually don't live in Sacramento. I actually live like in the Bay Area. I'm about an hour outside of Sacramento. So I'm up there all the time. But it's, you know, be, me being an L.A. guy, an hour drive to work is not that big of a deal because at least the traffic's moving. Growing up in Southern California, I'd sit, sit for an hour and go 10 miles. So... <laughs> You know, but I mean, overall, I mean, I think Sacramento gets a bad rap just because, you know, just because it's Sacramento and you look at the other teams in California, it's not the Bay Area. It's not L.A., but there's things to do. It's better than it was, say, 10 years ago. But if I want to have like fun, I'm generally in the Bay Area. Uh, that's fair. Good, honest assessment. You know, I've, I've, I've actually never been to California at all, although. When I do, I'm sure at some point I'll end up, I guess it'll take, I don't know how many trips to cover every area without taking a massive road trip within the state. But nevertheless, you know, there is basketball in Sacramento. We are going to talk about it. So, you know, Jason, you've, you've been uh, covering the Kings now for 12 years. Unfortunately, you have not yet sniffed the playoffs. Although 
The Cavaliers have had seven seasons without LeBron James since 09. They also haven't made the playoffs. So if you take LeBron out of the equation, you and I are pretty much the same. <laughs> well, at least you have LeBron in the equation. I have, yeah, I don't have anything close. I mean, I think the closest that in my time covering the Kings, they got to making the playoffs. They finished ninth in 2018-19, but they were like nine games out of eight. So it wasn't like it, was like, it wasn't like they were just sniffing around. It was like, yeah, they're not getting in. And we knew they weren't getting in. And I, I want to talk quickly about the bubble, which, yes, the Kings were a part of. But, Jason, this is more of a uh, prediction that I have. I want to ask you a prediction question. And here's, here are my thoughts. I believe that if COVID had not happened, especially at the time that it did in March, I think the Kings, they were one of the hotter teams in the league. I actually think they would have qualified. I think they could have gotten the eight seed potentially if there was never a stoppage and they played out the final six weeks as they were supposed to. Yeah. I mean, they were rolling. And then when they got to the bubble, people forget uh, Harrison Barnes had COVID and he wasn't himself, but he healed, you know, and buddy Hill also had COVID and buddy didn't look right the whole time. And I mean, I'd almost argue that buddy hasn't looked like buddy in a couple of, you know, since then, I mean, he's making a lot of threes, you know, but the guy that he was before, you know, he just hasn't been, you know, maybe it's just, you know, me in my head, but, you know, that I just think that that definitely played a role in how they, you know, what happened to them. And then they were also at, you know, they weren't ready for that level of intensity of teams trying to make the playoffs and it showed, but I do wonder what would have happened if there wasn't, you know, a pandemic and they could have just kept rolling because they were playing well. I mean, you started to see De'Aaron take off a little. Buddy Hill was thriving in that six-man role. Bogdan Bogdanovich was playing well. They were getting Rashawn Holmes back, who also at the bubble had this, like, what, quarantine for two weeks, I think. Yeah, forget he's stepping outside like to get <laughs> He crossed a boundary to get some wings. So, I mean, they just had so many crazy things happen. So it was almost just like whatever can go wrong will eventually go wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely. And now this year, you know, we're going to skip over last season. For now, we're going to get back to it. You have a guy named Tristan Thompson who graced the land for nine years before heading to Boston for one season. I think my, my, my personal thoughts from the outside is he'll start the year there and they'll see. How, how do you pronounce, by the way, their new, I, I don't want to even try uh, uh, number 88, the new center, third string right now? Uh. Nemeas, I believe it's uh, the the play, the team calls him Nimi. Okay, so Nimi Nimi Queta, Keta. Nimi Keta. Thank you. So you got Keta coming in. Obviously, Alex Len and Damian Jones are just kind of there as veteran presences. It's good to see Len back on the team after he was there a couple of years ago. But you know, thoughts on uh, getting Tristan? I think he'll start the year there, and I think that he gives you another very good rebounding big who brings a nice offensive touch, just like Rashawn does. Yeah, I think it'll. I'm curious what they do because I think when the trade was made, everyone kind of assumed that Tristan would get moved right along, you know, like within a couple of days, kind of what's happened with you know Patrick Beverly, but instead he's still on the team, and I think he he can help them just because. They weren't a great rebounding team, and they weren't a very physical team. I mean, pretty much most teams just kind of pushed them around all year, and that's been the case for a while. So I could definitely see some, you know, and they listed him as a forward slash center, 
which makes me think that they're also thinking at least at the start of the year with him on the roster. He's a guy you could use as a, you know, of the four, depending on the situation, if you're playing, say, the Lakers and they start two bigs, maybe you play him at the four instead of a, a guy like Marvin Bagley. You know, maybe you can play him at the five and let Rashawn cover, Holmes cover some of those mobile fours because they, this, their, their lack of flexibility on defense was just glaring all last year. I always tell people that that might have been the worst defense I've ever seen in the NBA. I mean, just top to bottom, the worst I've ever seen. And I've seen some pretty bad defenses in Sacramento. They were terrible. <laughs> so anyone who even has a inkling of, hey, I played defense at some point in my career, it's going to help them. So would I be shocked if Tristan finished the year in Sacramento? Definitely. But I've come to expect with Sacramento, whenever I think that, that guy ends up staying around. So I'll just let it play out. Yeah, and division play really doesn't mean as much now or division record because you can't get a higher seed for winning it. But given the fact that the rest of the division, the L.A.'s, Golden State, and Phoenix are all looking poised to be incredible, does not quite bode well no matter how good the Kings are. But over the last couple of years, they have done a nice job in finding guards, uh, not the number two pick. And again, not trying to not trying to trash Bagley, but he's obviously nowhere near the level of any of the other top five or six guys from his class. But you had De'Aaron Fox from a few seasons back who has just been incredible. He got his max contract. I mean, he's close to being an all-star. You got Tyrese Halliburton, ex-Iowa State Cyclone, looking like a real promising guy in the league at both positions. And what are your thoughts and I'll, on the talent and the fit, Jason, of Davion Mitchell, because I think he can be an electric type player. I think he's defends like Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry among guys his size that are also known for defense. And I think he could, if they can find the right minutes, given how the roster currently is with Heald, Fox, and Halliburton there, could be very good. Well, I, I like the fit just because I remember I, we, I did a mock draft at the very first one. Uh, we did it at the athletic and I gave the Kings Davion Mitchell. People were kind of like, what? And I was like, one, one of the reasons why the Kings are bad is because they spent too many years not taking the best player available. They've tried to fill holes. Like even when you go back to the bag, we pick, it was like, well, we need a power forward. It's like, no, you take the best player. You're in the lottery. <laughs> You're not in the lottery because you have all this talent. Take the best player, you know, when that, you know, and, the, and they've, and they, and you know, that's been a problem in Sacramento for years. And I said, you know, if, the, if it falls this way and Davion Mitchell is the best player there, you take him and you figure it out later. You know, maybe you trade somebody, maybe you trade him. I don't know, but I, I don't think that they are going to, they aren't trading him, but you take him and just what he adds in this talking to people around that team, it's what they need. A guy who's tough, a guy who's committed to playing defense, a guy who's like a more of a natural leader, you know, De'Aaron's kind of growing into that role, but, just by nature, De'Aaron is not a loud, vocal leader type. He's more of a lead by example type. And they just don't have, you know, they don't have those guys on the team. But I think between Davion Mitchell, then you add Tyrese Halliburton, who kind of has that natural leadership, you know, that natural leadership aura about him. You're getting some guys in that locker room who can help with the accountability and start to get some of that stuff turned around. But Davion is definitely going to fit in well. And I think because his, his level of effort, especially on defense, is so high, you're going to really stand out if you're not competing. And last season, you know, a lot of guys just weren't competing. 
<laughs> you know, so it's just, I mean, quite honestly, just when you were watching there, you didn't see guys competing on the, on the level defensively for a team that claimed it wanted to make the playoffs and do this and that. There were just some terrible defensive nights. There were, you say, there's no way you really want to be good if you're going to play like that. So I think it's, it's a start in the right direction. I think they have a, the potential to crack the top 10 in the West, which would be a step in the right direction. But things have to go right and they've got to just, you know, at least they got to take some major steps defensively to uh, make that happen. Yeah, no, no question about that. I think Terrence Davis, who is kind of a, a defensive guard who can also shoot the ball very well. We saw that when they got him last season. And Mo Harkless is another guy who gives you really solid defense. He was a huge part of Portland's conference finals year, not in the playoffs as much as he was just kind of being a foundation when he came in and he was the regular season, but still it was he and Aminu and they had those two defensive forwards. But let's talk about one more thing with the Kings and we're going to shift over to the Cavs, Jason. I mean, we talked about most of the starters, you know, we talked about Buddy Heald and how his game has been very different. You know, we've talked about, Rashawn Holmes, uh, we talked about Fox, his leadership. And one one name here, Harrison Barnes, game-winning shot against the Cavs last year. Awful for me, probably fantastic for you, especially for me. I think it was a – might have been – game might have been in Sacramento. I don't remember. Yeah, well, it was in Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, so I was probably up at like 12.30 watching that ball go through the basket but all in all all the names you said which name on the roster or maybe a name you could see the kings acquiring whether it be a trade or free agency could be the wild card in getting them that either seven through ten or even sneaking into a top six in a loaded conference this year see I, i'm gonna work with the assumption that they don't they don't have what it you know the roster to pull off a major deal I just don't know who they would move to make it, you know, to, you know, to, to get in, like say an all-star caliber or a franchise changing type talent. So for me, it's, uh, it really goes back to De'Aaron just because he's the one guy they have who can get his own shot, who has, who is dynamic in the sense that there's probably no one in the league faster than him. And he's a guy who showed consistently last year, at least for stretch, should I say, he can go get 30-35. He can be a dominant fourth-quarter player. But if he can take the steps forward in his free throw shooting, he was wildly erratic. Just like he'd be like eight for eight one game, then be like three for nine another in consecutive games. It was the most – it was one of those weird things. So if he can you know, become a consistent free throw shooter and also pick it up defensively, I think they've got an all-star. And in the West, you got to have at least one to have a chance, preferably two. But right now, even with their division, they're the only team in the division without two former all-stars. Yeah. You know, no. every, other team has at least, every other team has at least two. They had zero. Yeah, and think about some of the backcourts, you know, in, that, in the conference, just uh, Booker and Paul, or in the division, Booker and Paul, we're finally going to get to see Clay Thompson again. And we're going to get to the Cavs in a second. But as somebody that, you know, you're a Bay Area guy, you cover basketball in California, how excited are you to see Clay Thompson back this year, assuming nothing else happens? Because I, you never know, really hope he makes it, because it was what, a couple weeks before last season that he got hurt again. But I'm personally so excited to watch him come back. I think we're putting a lot of pressure on it just based on what he was before, but man, it's going to be so much fun. 
Yeah, I, I kind of wonder what we're going to see from him. I mean, it's been, what, two years now since he's played? Yeah, 2019. And, yeah, and it's like, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him back out there. I just think he's a, one of my just favorite guys just in the league when you hear him talk and just kind of see his personality. But I wonder if defensively where, where he'll be, because to me that's what made Clay special. Not that his shooting isn't special, but to have a guy that size who can not only shoot like that, but he could guard you know, you know, multiple players, positions, you know, I just think he was a, you know, a special type of guy. So I just want, I just hope, one point I hope he stays healthy. I'd hate to see another setback. And then I just, I'm just curious to see how he kind of, they kind of ease him back in because if he gets anywhere near where he was, that changes the dynamics, obviously in the West. I, I don't know if it makes them a, a, a championship team. I still think people sometimes forget just how good Kevin Durant was for them. And, even though Andrew Wiggins had a, you know, I thought he had a solid season, especially on the defensive end. He's not KD, <laughs> so <laughs> I think you're going to need Clay to, you know, be a big time scorer and defender. I just wonder how much, what type of toll that takes on a guy who hasn't played in the league in two years. So hopefully, you know, it does work out. He's able to play big minutes within a couple weeks to a month of his return. And one thing we do know, if Steve Kerr doesn't think you should be on the court, he will not give you the minutes that example, a James Wiseman throughout long stretches of last year for better or worse for the injury. And one thing mm-hmm. I don't think, and I also think he mismanaged his bench very much and also cost them in the playing game, but we're not here to dwell on that. I do think Clay will get some minutes. I want to switch to the Cavs side of things, of course, as being across the Cavs. And so with that Lowry market and trade, the Cavs give up Larry Nance Jr. And hearing the name Nance and trade and two and not Cleveland on the other end definitely hurts. Obviously I'm too young to have been around for Larry seniors, Cleveland tenure, but knowing the history, having studied up a ton in recent years, he was fantastic. He was a scorer. Mm-hmm. He was almost three blocks a game. He shot the ball. Well, his son comes in, you get to a finals. He hits a game winner. He's an integral part. Now he's off to Portland. And so, Lowry Markkinen, what is your perception as uh, somebody that writes about basketball, Jason, of Lowry Markkinen from the first four years of his career? Uh, no, stretch four. I'm not really sure what Cleveland does with him, but, you know, <laughs> I, you know I mean, it, it, no solid young player, but I, you, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm just looking at their team and I'm going, okay, you just drafted Evan Mobley. You just gave Jared Allen a big contract. You still got Kevin Love on the team. I mean, what are you going to do? Play Laurie at the three? I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just trying to understand what Cleveland's doing. I just, I, you know, you know, if you, if, if you're already, if, if, there, if there already wasn't the whole, let's figure out the, you know, the Mobley Allen thing to, to, to look at, you know, independent of Kevin Love, the way I look at Kevin's situation is he's not a part of the future. This is yep. just a matter of waiting it out to see what they what they do with him. You know, and if I'm Kevin Love, I'm not taking a buyout either. I'm like, I want my money, <laughs> you know. You know, so you you look at the, uh, you, I just, I just wonder, just kind of, you know, for us, you know, for us, you no, know, solid young players that Laurie Markkinen is, I'm trying to understand what Cleveland's doing. I, I, you know, I just, I'm not quite following it you know, what the exact pathway is. I mean, I mean, Seti Osmond's still there, right? I mean, yeah, Jetty is still here. Yeah. 
So it's like, I don't know. I just don't know where Laurie really fits. I mean, you you go in assuming that, you know, Allen's like a centerpiece player. You go in knowing that you're going to play Mobley a ton and try to maximize him. Where are you going to stick? I mean, I, I really, I'm really curious to see what uh, JB and crew does with this. Yeah, so there, there's a couple issues with this trade. And the first is a guy named Dean Wade. Again, you cover basketball. You're, you're, you're based, you know any guy that plays an NBA game, if it's relevant, you'll know who he is. I really like Dean Wade. I thought he was very good last year. I don't think it's an issue that he's going to lose all his minutes as a result of this. But I think it's important to understand that the Cavs did break a 10-game skid by winning four in a row the second he was inserted into the starting lineup after not even being in the rotation. Again, it's a small thing, but that little sample size during a 22 and 50 season does go a long way. That is issue one. He's fallen out. Issue number two. Yeah. You still haven't resolved the Kevin Love situation. And I'm calling cap because Larry Markin said, I can't wait to get there and learn from a guy like Kevin Love. Okay. Two issues with his statement. Number one, you don't want to learn anything from Kevin Love. And number two, Lowry Markkinen is in the NBA. He knows what happened with Kevin Love last year. The laziness, the, the, the giving up against Toronto thing. He knows what happened. He probably watched it. He's probably seen the video, and I would bet his agent and his friends all said, like, you see that thing in Cleveland? Man, even though we're struggling, we're still better off than they are because they have this guy. Now you want to learn from him? Okay. And then the other issue is obviously you mentioned. We just gave Jared Allen $100 million, just drafted Evan Mobley, and so – We've seen teams exist with three really good players between two spots over the years. And the Kings just might have that right now between Halliburton, Mitchell, and Fox. I think they'll be fine to work that out. You know, the Suns once tried to have Isaiah Thomas, Eric Bledsoe, and Goran Dragic, and they were all still very good. All three of them were, and obviously it only lasted a couple months. This isn't mm-hmm. a case yet, but this isn't a case of someone getting moved. This is a case of, all right, we got a new big man. We got another new guy I don't know what they're gonna do I don't like him and Jason here's the be-all end-all thing for me he averaged 19 and 9 did marketing in year two and now last year and he was also playing with a coach who had no business being a coach in uh Pat, Pat Boylan the other Pat Boylan the the or Jim Boylan excuse me Jim yeah, yeah the, the Bucks Jim Boylan was very cool and he was also an assistant with the Cavs this Jim Boylan Looked like uh, the, the bad, one of the bad guys from Sonic, and he just didn't know what he was doing, and no one listened to him. <laughs> and so you put Billy Donovan, who's more credible as a coach, he benches Markin, and he averages six less points and four less rebounds, which is a major drop for a guy in his early 20s from his second year. I think he's on the decline, and I think they're getting a guy that – he didn't even want to be in Chicago. No one else made a move. I don't even know what to call this. Is it desperate? Was it – just trying to do something is it trying to appease the fans i mean it doesn't make any sense i i really don't understand it i really don't and you know to give him a new deal i i, I just don't understand it you know you know just the way their team is constructed i thought larry nance helps them a lot more but you know but like i said i always say, I always say what do i know <laughs> you know it's just like i don't i don't follow it i'm just like i'm just trying to understand okay are you trying to, you know, get, you know, you've got some, you know, some, some young guards. I, I just, I just don't really see how Lori Markinen helps them. Cause I mean, are you going to give him Evan Mobley's minutes? You know, I, I just don't, you know, I don't see Markinen as a guy who can play three and four, you know, cause if he could, that'd be, you know, okay, maybe you could see, I, I just don't, I don't see it. 
I just kind of say, okay, you just gave some some more money and gave up somebody who might help you more just because what I don't I don't I don't understand it. But hey, those people, you know, you know, Kobe and those guys make a lot more money than me and they are paid to be a lot smarter about this stuff than me. Maybe they see something that I don't see. I just don't get it. Like Kobe's done a really nice job, you know, with the Sexton pick first in 2018. He got a coral, he got Mobley. And people have been criticizing him a lot recently. And I actually thought he'd been making a lot of good moves. This is obviously a bad one. You know, I don't I don't even know how to – I believe I gave the Cavs a D-plus and I gave both of the other teams an A. If you look at the deal, Portland gets a perfect sixth or seventh man that can actually defend and shoot mm-hmm. in, in Larry Nance, who I think is an upgrade over Carmelo for what they do. You know, they get picks. The Bulls get Derek Jones, a team that, that needed to shed marketing to free up the spot for Pat Williams. Bang, A. And Derek Jones is a good athletic guy, and it's going to make them dunk city with Derek Jones, Pat Williams, Zach Levine. Even Kobe White's got some ups. will be coming off the bench this year. And the Cavs just trade their second-best defensive player, and they acquire a guy who's a net negative on defense because, of course, so – it's what it is. It's and what it is. And I forgot about a Coro too. I'm just like, yeah, this is, yeah, I, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, I'm trying. To, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying. I'm just really just trying to understand, you know, what the fascination or the need for marketing was in Cleveland. And it's not even one of those things where certain teams are just drawn, you know, to European talent, whether or not it's already been in the league. I mean, you'll get. Look at teams like the Spurs and Mavs. If there's an international player, they will probably go to Dallas or San Antonio at some point in their career. And the newest guy from Australia is Jock Landale, who I hope we get to see a lot of this year from a guy who supports Delvadova in every aspect, meaning I'm an Australia fan, meaning I hope he uh, gets some NBA run there. He joins Jakob Pertl, the Austrian big man. Look at the international flavor in that front court. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's, it's a weird trade. And talking about Isaac Coro, though, you know, as somebody, again, you're not associated with the Cavs. You see it through a different lens. Thoughts on a Coro, Jason? Because to me, he's a guy I think he can average in the mid to upper teens at his peak this season even, and it'll only get better. I think he's a top, already a top 25 or 30 perimeter defender in the entire league. I think he's only going to get better, and I think that this year he's going to show some major leaps, even as a vocal leader. Well, see, I'm not a – the, the Okoro expert, I'm not going to pretend that I am, but I do like, his, I do like, I, I like young players to defend. I always have. I just think if you got to beg a guy to defend, he's a guy I don't want on my team. And if a guy comes in with a def- defensive reputation early on, I like that. I think a lot of times these teams talk about, you know, we need defense to win championships and then they try to go out and piecemeal defensive players together. You need to have your better players also be good defenders. So I like that about him. You know, wings with size who were switchable are big in this league now. You know, trust me, covering a team that doesn't hasn't had that in a while, you definitely notice the difference. That's why I was I'm saying you talk about the you know the idea of a coro mobile. Just you know, you know these these got some chances to do some some pretty special things defensively with this group. So that's what I yeah yeah I just that, that's why I said the marketing thing it's even crazier to me because why would you bring in a guy and pay him who's going to hurt your defense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know how this is going to work. 
If you take the L out of Lowry Marketing's name, using the authentic pronunciation, turns into Owry. If you take off three, it's just Ow. I mean, that's how I feel mentally as far as how my thoughts on the Cavs and what they were to what they become now. A healthy Larry Nance led the league in steals and deflections for the first two months of last season after the shortest offseason for many and the longest for others. I mean, it, it is what it is. But back to the Kings as we start to wrap up here. In an ideal world, what is Jason Jones, Sacramento Kings, game one starting lineup? Mm, that's the thing. I don't uh, – you're playing Portland. You're going to have to assume that Portland's going to, you know, probably play a little smaller. They're going to, you know, use the smaller front court as opposed to, you know, to kind of mimic that kind of Phoenix thing. So, oh, it's a tough one. De'Aaron Fox, I see, and I would go probably De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Rashawn Holmes, Harrison Barnes. And that other spot, uh, it might be Mo Harkless. No, I'm just, you know, I'm just guessing. I mean, that was essentially the lineup at the end of last year before De'Aaron Fox had, you know, had COVID and before Tyrese hurt his knee. So, I mean, I could definitely see that, you know, but I mean, there's so many different things they can do because they have so many guards. I mean, I I could see a scenario where you start Terrence Davis and, you know, and and start Harrison as a small ball four. You know, there's, they, they got a lot of different ways they can look. So, but I, to me, the, the big key would be I would start I would start De'Aaron and Tyrese together. I know Buddy hates coming off the bench. I know, but the, in his career, Buddy's numbers have shown he's a much more efficient player off the bench. So I would look at going with the two ball handlers to start the game, and then you can bring Buddy in with Davion. That way, you've got a defender with him, you know, because that's probably Buddy's biggest weakness. No weakness is his defense. And then you roll with that. But that that would be my guess right now. But I don't know what they do with Marvin Bagley. You know, do you start him? You know, do you kind of play him to start the you know each half and then not play him in the fourth quarter again? You know, do you start big? I mean, they can go so many different ways. I'll go with De'Aaron, Tyrese, Rashawn, Mo, and Rashawn right now. I'd be good with that. As someone that thinks the Kings do need uh, more of an infusion on the defensive end. I do think Heald coming off the bench is going to help things. And just to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe at the start of his career, De'Aaron was a starter playing next to George Hill, right? That was the original backcourt with Bogdan off uh, the bench. Do you remember? No, no he, he was coming off the bench to start his career. He was coming off the bench. He came, okay. Came off the bench. And then eventually they he played a little with George. I mean, they kind of went to this weird thing where they were, they didn't play the veterans every game. So there'd be nights where like you go in, George Hill wasn't on the play no matter what. It'd be all De'Aaron that night. Okay. You know, so. and you know, and they and they had, you know, and they uh Buddy began the year as a starter, and then they then they had benched him. Then it, so it probably was I want to say it was Bogdan Bogdanovich would have been the guy next to De'Aaron. I, the reason I ask is because I be, I was at their uh October 30th game. Uh, Fox's rookie year against Boston. I just couldn't remember if whether or not he started or came off the bench. I don't even remember what the lineup was that day. I think Zach Randolph also. I don't even know what they did. But anyway, the reason I ask that is that's be a final question, and then we'll wrap up. It, it's unclear right now what the Cavs' opening day starting lineup will be, whether or not the four is going to be Love if he's still here, or Marketing, or even Mobley. Do you think there's a benefit? to these high picks coming off the bench for the first uh, couple weeks to month of their career to learn 
the game before, or do you think it's better for them to just jump right in as a starter and be thrown into the fire without watching anything from the bench? I think ideally you ease them in off the bench. I mean, I mean, every situation is different. You know, if you've got a guy who's pretty solid, you know, I, I have no problem with that. What made the Kings situation weird with George is that they drafted the Aaron, then gave George like a three-year, $60 million deal, something like that. So it was like, okay, this makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. like, why would you pay him all this money when you just drafted the Aaron? But I, I'm, I think, I, you know, these guys are so young. You know, it makes sense if you can to ease them in just because it's, it's a big leap. You know, but I just understand with teams, you've got basically three years to make a decision on a guy. You know, you can't you can't let a guy sit for two and a half, three years and then start playing them. And then, OK, oh, we got to make it. You no, know, do we you know? Do we extend them? You no, know, in a year. We've only got a year of film. That's kind of the problem the Kings have right now with Marvin Bagley is just they haven't seen him play enough. You know, so I'm I'm all in favor of easing these guys in and. You know, there's no shame in, okay, you weren't a starter. The first, I don't think De'Aaron Fox sits around and goes, damn, I, I didn't start, you know, the first two months of my rookie season. I don't think that held him back. Yeah, that's good to hear. For, for Sexton, I think it was 10 games off the bench. Of course, George Hill was right there, too, with another rookie. Then, mm. he, was, then he was traded, and then, you know, the rest is history as far as Delvadova coming back, yada, yada, yada. You saw Okoro start every game. You saw Garland, an uh, instant starter. His rookie, we'll see what happens with Mobley if I'm the Cavs. I would consider starting him on day one, but maybe just playing him in a four or five-minute stretch to start the first and second, and then you go from there. You take the second half by year, but with marketing around, I don't even know what you're supposed to do. With Nance, you could have slid him in at a couple of few minutes at the three, then you can just slide a core to the two. And when you're sitting one of Garland or Sexton, if you want to keep Rubio on the bench, do that. But regardless, Jason, it has been fun talking <laughs> NBA with you. And I appreciate you stopping by on this Monday afternoon for me, morning for you. No problem. Anytime. Yeah. You know, I got family back in Ohio. So I, I keep a kind of, you know, far little, I peek at the Cavs a little bit because my family's from the Cleveland area. That's right. See, guys, even non Cavs fans are Cavs fans. There are good people, and there are good people in the media that have good things to say about the Cavs, unlike everything you normally read about the Cavs. Jason Jones, a real one. It's been fun, and look forward to getting together again. No problem. Anytime. Take care. All right, so for Jason Jones, I am Zach Weiss. This has been Across the Cavs, and we will catch you next time. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, uh, and then drop a review on Apple Podcasts.